Relatively Geeky presents Doom Speak. Welcome back to Doom Speak, the ongoing chronicles of the fantabulous exploits of the world's leading leader, the rightful ruler of Latveria himself, Dr. Doom. And in this episode, we are revisiting a series that we have covered a number of times over the years here by discussing Doom 2099 issues 26 and 27, the start of a new era. But first, a little feedback covering the last two episodes. First up, our chat with Andy Leyland as we discuss the glorious origin of Dr. Doom, as chronicled in FF Annual number 2. On that, Billy D from the excellent Magazines and Monsters podcast sent this in. Morning, Prof. Just catching up on my podcast, listening, and enjoyed your chat with Andy about Doom. I have this story in a reprint somewhere, and I definitely want to dig it out to read it again. Yes, Billy, you do. Looking forward to more Doom 2099. Well, here you go. And hopefully, super villain team-up as well. Huh. Maybe. I will definitely give that some thought. And Dragon Con's Michael Bailey, who co-hosts with Andy the Overlooked Dark Knight, which may call his objectivity into question, but let's give this a try. Professor Allen, I was enjoying this episode quite a bit until I came to the part where I feel my character was besmirched. I have never gone back and bought new versions of trades and such just because the trade dress changed. That would be silly. I do buy just about every version of the Death of Superman that comes out, but that is totally different. I demand an apology in writing on my desk and... Wait, hold on, there's someone at the door. Ten minutes later. Hey, Professor, just spoke to the lovely and very polite, not at all physically intimidating men that work for your office. It's one of Dr. Doom's chief marketing officers. I just have to say that after a very well-crafted ow argument that did not involve a blowtorch and or a rusty razor, you know... We're good. I, I really don't need an apology. Seriously. We're good. Anyway, great episode as always. And Hail Doom regards podcastings, Michael Bailey. P.S. Please tell Hans and Gunter that I amended this. Seriously. They were really quite empathic. Your honest and sincere comments, Michael, have been duly noted and are appreciated. Sean Urbanski said he was looking forward to the episode. And Sir, Sir Martin of Grey commented on the panel that I used for the Twitter feed, which had good old Doc Doom saying that he was, quote, wiser, stronger, more brilliant, more powerful than ever before. From this moment on, I shall be known as Dr. Doom. 
Mart wondered about the connections inherent within that comment, the, the logic thereof. He makes no sense. How does doom equate to any of that? Why not say, Dr. Desirable? Is there a problem translating the Latverian into English? Well, yes, almost certainly, Mart. Thank you for answering your own question. Now, Dr. Ange actually posted the original Latverian panel, which says wiser, stronger, more brilliant, more powerful than ever before. From this moment on, I shall be known as Dr. Ange. Wait, I don't think that's accurate, but maybe it does make more sense linguistically than the version that so bothered Martin. (laughs) Now, last time, we covered a what-if story, and Dr. Ange wrote in on that one as well, and confirmed that he sent me at least one copy of that issue. I kept hoping I would run into Dan Slott again at a con to get it signed. Fun little issue. And that ending? So is an imprinted strange really doom? Perhaps we need to revisit the whole Doom 2099 discussion again. Well, Ange, in about 6 to 11 minutes, we'll do just that. Billy D said it was good to hear my voice back on his phone, especially in the world of Doom. Chris Willette said it was a very fun episode. Thank you, Chris. And Sir Martin said it was very good, especially the ending. Clinton from Coffee and Comics agreed. Such a fun issue. And that ending. (laughs) Yes, I imagine that one of the fun portions of writing what-if stories was that the writer got to really nail a twisted, weird shock ending. And again, from Michael Bailey, still sleeping off his Dragon Con hangover. Uh, exhaustion, he said, to call it exhaustion. That's, that's what we're going with, Mike? Got it. Professor, a surprise doom speak on a dreary morning sure helped me get going today. Marvel's What If series was, as you put it, something that usually ended in tragedy. I've heard comparisons between What Ifs and DC Elseworlds, which is fair, but the key difference between the two is that DC took a concept and played it out. Superman landing in Russia. Bruce Wayne gets a Green Lantern ring. While Marvel would take an event and simply change the outcome and then follow that story path. One isn't better than the other. I just find the differences interesting. And that is a good point, Dragon Cons. I, I made the comparison between the two, and I, I definitely shortcutted on some of the points that, that you're making there. You mentioned that this particular what-if did not have a tragic ending, but I would argue that it did. The tragedy is that we were cheated out of seeing more of this world where Dr. Doom continued in the body of Stephen Strange. Big Comic made sure that Spider-Girl got two ongoings 
but not Dr. Doom, Sorcerer Supreme? I should say I'm surprised, but I'm not. Bah! Bah, I say! Also, I'm with you on not being the biggest fan of uploading consciousnesses. It's not something I care for in my fiction. I spend too much time thinking about the mechanics of it and what is going to get lost in the hard drive transfer. Great show, and as always, Hail Doom, Dragon Cons, Michael Bailey, and a hearty Hail Doom to you, Dragon Cons, Michael. Herman from Into the Weird retweeted the episode, encouraging his listeners. Give it a listen, weirdos. Yeah, it seems appropriate. These two episodes received combined social media support. From Ed, from Teal Productions, the Lady Laurel of the Hunters podcast, the kind and lovely Sutherlands, from Trekker Talk and other rad podcasts, Clinton, from the Days of High Adventure, the Irredeemable Shag, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Chris Lydon7, Karen, from Between the Pages, Chris, from Professor Frenzy, it's a show, Angela, from Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace, SCA Legion fan, Skeezix161, John, from Married with Comics, Ward Hill Terry, Pat, from the Long Box Crusade, Ben Rush, It's Jason, Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, Incendium Online, Shane Kelly, David Ace Gutierrez, Vic and Phoenix, Bon Makadam, Sir Luke Jackanetti, Jay Campbell, former podcaster and new father, Mike Peacock, Sid Holt, Ranger Gord, Jimmy Eubanks, and Dr. Doom scholar, Shared Brain Cell. Well, we'd have two issues to cover today, a few highly anticipated ones, I might even say. So that means that it's time to jump right into Doom 2099, 26, and 27. And we'll do that right after this. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at Two True Freaks. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. And we're back. For synopses, we'll run these together, do the analysis and discussion after that. 
Doom 2099, 26, and 27 had cover dates of February and March 1995, respectively. Thanks. Go to Doom2099.com for helping with these synopses. The cover of 26 by Pat Broderick is really great. It's basically a poster shot of Doom with his arms folded across his chest, red eyes gleaming, and all of this is with the rain pouring down on him like a John Cusack rom-com. My copy of issue 26 is also signed by Mr. Pat Broderick himself, who signed this when I met him a few years back at Heroes Con in Charlotte. And you know, as I think about that, Paul Hicks should probably go to Heroes Con sometime. The story, Ramparts, was written by our new regular scripter, Warren Ellis, with art still by Pat Broderick and John Nyberg. We start with flames reflecting off Dr. Doom's super shiny armor as Warren Ellis announces his arrival to the title with some serious prose giving us his take on the title, perhaps his mission statement for the character. Torn from history, fired into the frosted electric air of the 21st century's end, forced to reclaim his country from American hands, just as, when as a 1900s gypsy clansman, he freed it from dead-eyed aristocrats. Technologist. Executioner. Revolutionary. Doom. We then move inside Latveria, to where Castle Doom straddles the divide between Doom's heart and Antiqua village, and in his mind, steely Gojradia city. Here, Doom's advisor, the tarot-reading Oracle Fortune, sleeps uncomfortably. She awakens to a call from Ironwine, the director of Latveria's airport. He complains that a load of cyber junkies, or as he calls them, this bunch of freaks, have arrived at his airport under Doom's authority. Fortune tells him to hold them at gunpoint until she arrives. Meanwhile, Doom is chatting with the beautiful electronic avatar Paloma, whom Doom freed back in the early days of this title from the Pixel Corp. In gratitude, she allows Doom access to the Pixel information and wealth as he wishes. But she bears responsibility for the net itself. Stand advised, should your axe harm the net, there will be death. Doom moves to his world board and requests a study of the small nation Macalistan, cross-referenced to the American company Angel's Breath. After a four-page Fleer baseball card insert, we spend three pages at the riverfront. If you're a Latverian, on the disenfranchised side of life, it ends here. Under the previous Latverian regime, murderous guardsmen regularly swept the front and dropped the bodies into the river Siri. Under doom, with the guardsmen and impotent police force, the human slurry at the front has piled high. Here, 
we meet Pario, addicted to the drug chain. There, he is confronted by magic. Magic is spelled with a J, a C, and a K, because 2099 had a real 1990s throwback vibe. Magic is the leading dealer in the riverfront, and he knows that Pario has begun to deal himself to supply his own needs, and so Magic kills him, telling his thug henchman that once he's finished burning off Pario's face and other identifiable areas, toss him in the Siri. At the airport, Ironwine asks Fortune to get these filthy wire-faced bottom feeders the off my airport. Fortune finds that Doom has indeed hired the service of net gliders, although for purposes unknown. She arranges for the visitors to be transported to the castle. Then she heads home, and she accidentally knocks some of her tarot cards on the floor. The meaning of the three cards that land face up is clear. War is coming. In the background, news channels are alive with reports that Latveria's neighbor, Mikelistan, has erupted with revolution. Doom announced to his nation that he has launched a network of environmental maintenance platforms. These devices shall scour our air clean of pollution, buffer the local ozone layer, and modulate our climate. Similar plans to clean up the waterways are announced, because although he now wears a lot of blue and red, Doom is, and always has been, a green at heart. Fortune attempts to ask about the net gliders, but Doom evades her using his highly developed political skills of talking mumbo-jumbo and ignoring questions. He orders her to take care of pressing matters of state while he rides up to the old Valhalla space platform, now renamed Libera Ciela, Latverian, for clear sky. Doom will hold closed-door meetings with the net gliders and others who will be arriving through the airport. Fortune's first task is a meeting with the chief of the guard, Latveria's police. He reports that Chain is being dealt in the riverfront and fears a coming drug war. Our old friend Poet has joined her, sharing his past with Chain as a young man. Since quitting the highly addictive drug, he's made it a personal mission to eliminate it wherever he finds it. Poet tells Fortune to have the guardsmen meet him at the riverfront at exactly 3 a.m. Later, at exactly 3 a.m., Poet does not wait for Fortune and the chief. And so alone, he bursts into a riverfront bar, a three-page shootout ensues, where Poet manages to kill a number of dealers. But it all ends with magic, putting a gun to Poet's head. And then we turn to the last page, and we see Poet slumped against the wall, a blood spatter behind him. A policeman's jacket has been placed over his dead body. The chief of the guard tries his best to console Fortune, 
Please. We were only one minute late. One minute. Issue 26 ends with a quote from Baudelaire. Time and love have marked her with her claws, and cruelty taught her that every instant, every kiss, steals something of youth and freshness. The cover of issue 27, again by Broderick, although not signed by him this time, shows a poster of doom on a brick wall, riddled with bullet holes. Before the poster, we see Magic, the drug dealer, and he seems to be sliding down that wall. The story, Barricades, was written again by Warren Ellis with art again by Broderick and Nyberg. We start with a news report from riot-torn Makelistan, the politically volatile Central Europe region shared by Latveria. The revelation that the state and population are the property of the American corporation Angel's Breath has not gone over well with the populace. Back across the border, doom and fortune attend Poet's Funeral, which has turned into a state event. Though Fortune appreciates the gesture, she asks why Doom does not honor him the Zephyro way, referring to their tribal affiliation. Doom ignores the question and introduces her to one of Poet's info brokers, and it becomes clear to her that the funeral was nothing more than a front for Doom to meet Poet's data pirate contacts. In the bits and bytes of cyberspace, our old buddy Duke Stratosphere, from many issues past, is scared for the first time in a long time. For he observes an unusual sight, net gliders moving in formation as if they were soldiers. In the narco-democracy of Colombia, because even at the end of the century, Colombia will be a drug-fueled nation, I suppose, Dr. Jose Fleischman does his work. He is known as the Mengele of the 21st century. The squirrely-looking fella is doing some of his bad experiments when he gets a call from Latveria. A payment from Pixel is coming his way. Do monologues for the benefit of his world board display, bragging that the players made available to him by Poet's Demise were of great help. Queen Akasana of Wakanda and the other monarchs and CEOs with whom I share superficial sympathies were supportive. And then he makes what I think is an ill-considered comparison by adding, The time of the great leap forward comes closer. Back at the airport, the mysterious and lovely mercenary Nafka instructs the airport chief to install some new equipment on landing strip three. And across the border, posters of doom, like the one from the cover, are now covering central Makelistan, with the slogan that, when translated into English, reads, Independent Life. And that slogan makes me think, that Doom is going to build a chain of old-age homes across the region. Back in Colombia, the modern-day Mengele, Jose Fleischman, 
goes a little bit crazy, delivering two pages of insane speechifying, ending with the two words, So live! And after an agonizing choral scream, a terrible morning breaks in the steel air. Nanoids join hands and give up their freedom with small binary songs. We see a skeleton slowly being covered by skin, with organs growing. And then he screams, Doom! To which the crazy Fleischman simply answers, Welcome back to the world of meat, wire. And then we reach the issue's longest scene, five pages of action down at the riverfront. Magic, the pusher who killed Poet, enjoys the status he has gained by killing one of Doom's men. Until suddenly, Doom bursts in, blowing a hole in the wall of the bar, announcing that he has been killing people all night searching for magic. This community of coprophagic ticks and moral mutants has considered itself a separate world for far too long. This riverfront is Latveria. I am Latveria. And if you do not provide me with magic, the murderer of poet, immediately I shall scatter your thin ruined ashes across Latverian soil. As one, the crowd points the man out, and they all scatter from the bar. Doom throws magic out into the streets and kills him publicly for the entire riverfront to see. He then turns to address them again. I am Doom. Harm my subjects and you harm me. And then I harm you. If you wish to become my subjects, then come with me. Tiger Wilds, former HQ, has been turned into a refugee hostel for the relocated riverfront populace. Room and board are granted free for all comers without state-recognized housing or moral income. Which now answers the question of where Andrew Yang came up with the idea of universal basic income. And then on the final page, we join Doom high above the world aboard the Libera Cielo space platform. From there, he watches the Michaelistan revolution unfold. And then we end with a quote from Peter Kropotkin, praising the notion of revolution. The end. Here's the thing about Dr. Doom. He could possibly be the best next-door neighbor you've ever had. He'll keep the block quiet. He'll give out the best Halloween candy in the county. And the internet in the neighborhood will never go out. On the other hand, if your dog is a little yappy, or if you don't trim your bushes back just right, or leave up your Christmas decorations past Epiphany. He could be the worst neighbor ever. Also, if you're McKellistan, he could be a pretty bad neighbor. Or if you think about it another way, if you're McKellistan, 
he could maybe become a pretty great adoptive father when he takes you over. I think that Silver Sable witnessed the actions of this issue, you know, from the other side of the border over in Simcaria, and just hopes that old Victor will keep his attention attuned to Mechelistan. And we'll talk about that neighboring nation again shortly, but I do want to step back and just talk more broadly about the plotting here, the overall story. To this, the start of the Warren Ellis run. Yes, he scripted the two issues we covered last time that wrapped up that first long storyline, story arc, but that was based on John Francis Moore's outlines. So these two are the first of his totally solo, doing-his-own-thing issues. And what I liked most about this was how much Ellis pulled back in from prior issues of the title. The characters and concepts he integrated into this early work. There can be a tendency for a new writer to come into a title and toss everything out and basically start over, almost starting from scratch. But here, we get Paloma, Pixel Corp, Net Gliders, Poet, Duke Stratosphere, and the renamed Valhalla Space Station. And most dramatically, we get the return from the dead of Wire. All of these people and events and ideas bring that needed sense of continuation of the story, laying down those markers for faithful listeners to grab hold of, to to be grounded in. Because Ellis is definitely doing something different than what John Francis Moore did. Now, let me emphasize one thing. I've covered all of the issues of this series. First on the quarter bin, and then here on Doomspeak. And you know how much I like this series. How great I think it's been up to this point. I want to say that again here, that I really like the John Francis Moore era. I didn't want it to come out that I'm discounting or dismissing all that came before this. Because this does go in a different direction. Ellis will be doing something different. What Moore did, and I'm sure what his marching orders were, what he did was tell futuristic sci-fi comic book stories. That's what 2099 started out doing. From what I could find at Mike's Amazing World, there were still, I think, six active 2099 titles. The imprint the world, was still an ongoing concern. They were still committed to trying to make a go of it. We are going to talk about sales figures shortly, and I don't know what the other titles in the line were selling, but I think it's reasonable to presume that Doom was in the mainstream, at least the middle of the pack of those sales. I mean, you've read Ravage 2099, right? Come on. It could not have been selling better than this. Even hashtag big comic couldn't make that happen. So, two years in, sales, spoilers, are on the low end of the big two. I assume that Ellis was given some free reign here to do what he wanted to do to to juice the sales a bit. And what he's doing is turning the title in a different direction, a direction away from... It's a sci-fi 
comic stories primarily, and more clearly into political thriller with political commentary. And we also get a grittier, street-level story here. The Riverfront, the Drug Dealers, Magic. No, seriously. M-A-J-I-C-K. Magic. And then the killing of Poet. And then the killing of his killer by Doom. That's rough stuff. Rougher than the prior 25 issues, I'd say. Because there we had comic book violence. And here we got more grounded, real-life-ish violence. And in that, we get a great take from Ellis, his view of how Doom views his people. I'm speaking of that final scene in issue 27 at the riverfront. And that is that if you want to be under his protection, you can be. Yes, he asks your loyalty. He asks you not to revolt against him like those pesky troublemakers next door. And if you choose hashtag Team Doom, you get a place to live, you get off the drugs, and you get a little walking around money. And it's not mentioned specifically in the issue, you know, the economy of word balloons being what they are. But we can assume that that converted Tiger Wild bunker also has great Wi-Fi and unlimited Disney Plus access. Now, we mentioned the neighbor next door. Let's talk about McKellistan. We introduce what I believe is a new neighbor for Latveria here, and we see the way in which a population can easily be brought to revolution. Remember, like, six, eight issues ago when we had that couple on the Pacific Island pulling the political and economic strings of the entire globe? Well, after defeating them, it seems that Doom is kind of moving into that basic role himself. And not only is he stoking revolution in his neighbor, a pretty small land in Central Europe, but the fact that America is mentioned as well is worth thinking about. It's not just a land and a government that Doom is taking down. It's an American company. I am cheating here. I am giving you a spoiler because I do remember bits and bobs of where Ellis's story goes from here. And yes, somewhere down the road, not too far from here, Doom does come across the pond. You know, we've always heard that the Latverian people love Doom. And in this issue, we get a few hints as to why. How he accomplishes that as a heavy-handed leader. He provides the benefits of his technology to his people in terms of clean air and water and in cleaning up the riverfront. Someone in his position ruling a country successfully without the minor technicality of, you know, an election, that could be considered a tenuous hold on leadership. Just next door, the people have risen up and cast off the shackles of their leadership. Doom knows that people, ungrateful people, they can always do that. And one way to avoid that pesky situation is to treat your people well, not just 
by making your small nation matter, to make it important, which I think is how this has been dealt with in many Doom-related comics. The people love Doom because he's made Latveria a land that matters. But here, we get some really specific actions that the man has taken to, yes, to secure his place in power, but he is securing his place in power by serving his people well, which is what a leader does. Really good writing all the way around. Solid, thoughtful issues. I hinted at this before, but one last thing to mention, that is that in issue 27, we have a statement of ownership and circulation. And if you follow my Twitter feed, you know that I love these. And I'm not alone in my fascination by these numbers. Am I Sir Iowa's Joe and Kirk Spencer? Hmm? This one is strange because there are a few typos in it. Numbers in the wrong places. And no, I don't mean the way that hashtag big comic has systematically lopped off a few zeros from the end of all the numbers, which obviously they did. But actually, there are a few values in spots that don't make just mathematical sense the way the form operates. So with a little honest rearranging, by this point, we can learn that they were printing about 170,000 issues of this title and selling 60 to 65,000 of those. On their own, compared to most other titles of the era, these are pretty low numbers. I'm only looking at the numbers that I've collected over the years. I'm sure there's a full database of these somewhere online. But I'm going with just the forms that I've witnessed and have translated into my own database. Anyway, for some comparison, these numbers from Doom 2099 are about equal to those of Gladstone's Donald Duck issues from 1990 and are a little less than Conan the Barbarian from 92. Now, the best comparison, of course, would be to compare these to other 2099 titles, but I don't have those comparisons at hand. Now, internally to Marvel, these numbers could not have been too terrible, because the title did last another year and a half after this. Okay. So like I said, the start of a new era for Doom 2099, the Warren Ellis run, which has, in and of itself, another year or so to go. Now, I'm not sure if we'll have another Doom speak in November. At this point, I kind of doubt it. And I'm not even sure where we're going to go next with Doom speak, possibly to supervillain team up, which was suggested earlier in the episode. But I also want to get back to 2099 soon, probably in early 2023. So I'm not sure where we're going, but, by the way, the December episode of the Quarterbin podcast will have some Doom-related content in it, so fear not, our beloved leader will continue to be properly discussed here on the network. No fear, no worries about that. I just don't totally know how or when. But if you have any feedback on this episode, either of these issues, the world of 2099, 
Warren Ellis, or anything related to our good doctor, the rightful ruler of Latveria, don't hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email at relativelygeeky at gmail.com or as a comment on the Facebook or blog post for this episode. The blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. And hail doom. Hail